This episode of Pod Cemetery isn't brought to you by anything. It's just one long love letter to Bruce Campbell. And if you're listening, Bruce, I'd make love the Bruce Campbell way. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, it's all about Bruce Campbell with 1987's Evil Dead 2 and 2007's My Name is Bruce. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. Okay, the first one's really easy. You say that, but we'll see. What is the name of the group the child protagonists give themselves in 2017's It? The Losers Club. Yes. Boom! I got it. It's very easy. Except you could theoretically consider it being called The Lovers Club in the remake. Because oh, Loser, which is written on his cast, is changed to Lover. Mm-hmm. Anyway. All right, Kelsey. To get us started talking about Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. At what university are the characters in Evil Dead 1981 students? You can also see it in Evil Dead 2. Is it Iowa? No. Is it Ohio? No. Oh, okay. Michigan State. Mm. The girlfriend at the beginning of Evil Dead 2 is wearing a Michigan t-shirt. So, there you go. I'm not surprised. It's a little minor detail, really, that you have to be kind of, I think, paying attention to look for in order to see it. All right, Kelsey. Our first movie this week is Evil Dead 2. Uh, If you haven't yet, you can go back and listen to our original episode on Evil Dead 1, which came out in 1981, I believe, or was made in 1981. Well, Evil Dead was made in 79, and it came out in 81. I think it came out internationally in 81. Yeah. And then in America in 82, something like that. Something. But in any case... The IMDb date was 1981, but Evil Dead 2, 1987, written by Sam Raimi and Scott Spiegel, directed by Sam Raimi, starring Bruce Campbell, Sarah Barry, Dan Hicks, and Ted Raimi. What is Evil Dead 2 about? Pretty much the same thing as Evil Dead 1? Yeah, it's the same thing, it's just more. (laughs) It's just more of it, and it's more humorous, slapsticky, kind of ridiculous than Evil Dead 1. And there's new characters. Yes, Just to replace the old ones. Yeah, uh uh-huh, just (laughs) to make it a little bit more dynamic, I think. Or to have more deaths. There weren't that many more characters. In the original, there were four, and now there are five. I don't mean that they wanted to have, like, more, I mean that... They'd already killed everyone off, so now they had to bring in new characters. Right. So the the deal about Evil Dead Two, just a little bit of a primer before we actually start talking about the movie, is that Stephen King, who heavily promoted the original movie, his quote is written on the poster for the original Evil Dead and used in the marketing. 
when he found out that they were going to be making an Evil Dead 2, he reached out to Dino De Laurentiis and suggested that he produce the movie. And they had met with other people before to no avail. And in the meantime, they made other movies and didn't do so well. And so they decided to make a sequel to this one. Couldn't get somebody to produce it. But then they met with Dino De Laurentiis at Stephen King's urging. And it was like a 15-minute meeting. And he decided to to make the, the film. Only problem is, is that they didn't own the rights to the original movie. So they couldn't use clips from it to get us back to where this movie is supposed to start. So if you remember correctly... In Evil Dead 1, it ends with the POV spirit rushing through the cabin, coming out the front door, and then into Ash's mouth, played by Bruce Campbell. That's where the first one ends. The way Bruce Campbell describes it, and we discussed this in our Evil Dead 1 episode, is that everything you see in Evil Dead 2 up to that same moment where the spirit goes into his mouth basically is you can consider Evil Dead 1. And Evil Dead 2 doesn't start until that moment. Mm -hmm. But since they couldn't grab the original footage, they just decided, fuck it, we'll just retell the entire story over again. And they do it really quick with only two characters, just Ash and his girlfriend. And that is it. And they kill her off pretty quickly. He buries her, he beheads her, all of that. And then the spirit goes through the, the house and then... It possesses him and pushes him through the woods. And that's where this one starts. So, Kelsey, should people watch Evil Dead 2? Yeah. Yes. If you haven't, absolutely. If you have, watch it again. (laughs) Just be prepared. People say that if you really want to understand Sam Raimi, just consider that every movie he's making, he's trying to make the Three Stooges. Someone that had worked with Sam in Michigan years before, told me, they said, the secret to Sam Raimi is that he keeps trying to make Three Stooges movies. Hey, what are you doing here? Hey, why are you? So this would be a horror movie, but Three Stooges, you know? So it has a lot of that slapstick, over-the-top comedy. Coupled with that horror makes it a dark comedy. So you gotta be prepared. In tone, it's nothing like the original Evil Dead. He loves the Three Stooges, which it shows... Um, his sense of humor really shows in the movies. But I love the fact that it can go from really funny to terrifying within a span of a couple seconds. I'll tell you what our thoughts are about that when we actually get into the discussion. You can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1987's Evil Dead 2. Four years ago, in this quiet forest, in this cozy cabin, something happened. Something so frightening. Something so deadly. Something so evil. We prayed it would never happen again. Now, from the creator of Evil Dead, comes Evil Dead 2. Swallow your soul! Evil Dead. Two, Dead by Dawn. Subtitled Dead by Dawn, by the way. 
it depends on where you go to look it up, but some places call it Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. Some people use the Arabic numeral 2, some people use the Roman numeral 2, some people use that subtitle, some people don't. But we're going to call it Evil Dead 2 Roman numerals. Get us started, Kelsey. What happens in Evil Dead 2? So we're going to skip the whole beginning part because it's pointless, right? Uh, Pretty much. It all boils down to exactly what we said. Uh, His girlfriend gets possessed. He kills her and ends up beheading her and trying to bury her. And then he gets chased by the spirit, gets possessed. Start of this movie. Okay. So he gets thrown around a lot. You know, it's very physical humor. And then the sun comes out. And all of a sudden, everything goes back to normal. Yeah, that's why it's dead by dawn, because they need to kill you by dawn. (laughs) Otherwise, they have to go away. They are nocturnal spirits. When it goes away, I'm just like, okay, so time to go. Time to get the hell out of there, Ash. But he stops, and he, like, looks back at the house, and there's this, like, face, and it says, join us. And so he's like, fuck this shit, and gets into his car, But when he goes back to get on the bridge, the bridge is gone. Yeah. Just like in Cabin in the Woods, you know? It's that trope. Ah, the 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 bridge went out. The method back is is blocked in some way. And then the day passes super quickly. Like really. And it becomes nighttime again. So and it's very obviously done on purpose. And a lot of the bad visual effects and stuff, they're doing that all on purpose. Yes. Yeah. It's not like In our last episode, we talked about how bad April Fool's Day from 2008 was. It's not bad like that. It is, like Kelsey says, kind of bad on purpose. They don't have tons of money. As a matter of fact, while they were making the movie or starting to make the movie, they sold the uh, overseas distribution rights, which is what Dino De Laurentiis does. He really makes his money on overseas distribution. And so he sold those right away. And they already, just by doing that, made more than their entire budget was. So they already were at a profit. But it's not like they had a ton of money. They had more money than they did on the first one. And they were much better at doing what they do. So they were able to accomplish a lot more. The effects are supposed to be over the top. They're supposed to be ridiculous. They're supposed to put you in a position where, at first, you don't know if you're supposed to laugh or not. Mm-hmm. The reactions to that movie are really special because they just don't know how to do it. Should I laugh? Should I scream? I don't know what to do. Though it was very hard to figure out if you were supposed to laugh or be scared. Because everyone around me is laughing, and I'm kind of going, is this supposed to be like this? Why are you laughing at this picture? And he goes, don't you get it? And I go, no, I don't understand. He goes, it's a dark comedy. So after the day has passed, the the spirit wants to take over Ash again, right? So it follows him again through the house. And did you notice that he ends up going between the walls? When he's running away, Uh he like breaks through something and ends up in between the walls. Just like in The People Under the Stairs. Oh, no, I didn't notice that. So I'm like, huh, I guess there are houses that are really made that way. I can't understand why, but that's why I'm not an architect. (laughs) Is this the scene or is it later where the POV shot is chasing him through the house and then it loses him? That's the one? that's the next thing. Oh, that's so funny. It loses him and it can't find him. It's it's like looking around. Yeah, (laughs) and then it eventually leaves the house. 
Oh, it's really good. It's really good. So this time around, I think they said this in the first one, that the Necronomicon was found by a doctor and his wife, and then they listened to the the tapes, and that's why the spirit comes alive again. Because the recitation is on the, the tape, yeah. In this version, the wife and doctor, they have a daughter. Annie, played by Sarah Barry. And she has something else from some other country. She found, like, the missing pages, because there were missing pages, and the rest of it... So, the Necronomicon tells how you can open... uh, How you can release the spirits. The pages she's getting are opening a portal, sending the spirits back, and then closing that portal. Yeah. So we see her and this guy getting off a plane. His name is Ed Getley, played by Richard Daumier. They get off the plane, and she's got these papers, and he's like, you know, what's this all about? What's this all for? And she says, probably nothing, but just possibly the door to another world. And she's very excited about it, because they don't understand. Yeah. Annie, you hinted in your telegram that your father was onto something with the first part of his translations. What has he found in the Book of the Dead? Probably nothing, but just possibly the doorway to another world. Back to Ash, and he sees his dead girlfriend dancing in the, the, like, woods. Yeah, so first it throws the head at him from outside. And he has to turn it. (laughs) Yeah, it lands in his lap and he spins it around to where it's looking at him. And it's funny because... It's one of those moments where you don't know if that's the way it was kind of scripted, like that no matter how the head lands in your lap, turn it to where it's facing you. Like, you need to make out, what is this head? Who is this? And that's the joke. Or if it was just bad, uh, a bad take. <laughs> so again, you're questioning, should I laugh? Shouldn't I? It's really early on. I don't know. And it bites him on his hand. And this is important. And, you know, he's running around outside and he's like slamming it against the wall and all of that and a lot of physical comedy a lot of physical comedy and he ends up tying it up in a vice and it's just sitting in a vice in the tool shed now in this tool shed above the door is freddy krueger's glove a lot of people say and i don't know if it's ever been corroborated that this is where the original freddy krueger glove goes missing the story is is that the original original freddy krueger's Freddy Krueger glove was stolen and never found its way back. So some people say that this is where it originally went missing. Other people I've heard that know it was it was taken but given back or or whatever the case may be. Uh, in any case, what happened was Sam Raimi interpreted a poster in The Hills Have Eyes to be a dig at Steven Spielberg's Jaws because there was a poster with a shark on it. And it was Wes Craven's way, Sam Raimi interpreted, of saying, Jaws is not scary. The Hills Have Eyes is scary. It's a torn poster with a shark on it. Whether that's true or not, it's how Sam Raimi interpreted it. So in the original Evil Dead, he put a poster of The Hills Have Eyes in the basement, torn up, saying to Wes Craven, Evil Dead is really scary. Right? And that's 81 or thereabouts, actually earlier than that. Then in 84, in Nightmare on Elm Street, Evil Dead is on the TV. (laughs) So now Wes Craven is referencing Sam Raimi. And so in Evil Dead 2, we get the Nightmare on Elm Street 
glove. It's like, so they're back and forth referencing each other. And it all started with apparently Sam Raimi misinterpreting a poster in The Hills Have Eyes. So yeah, it's probably worth mentioning here that before the head comes at him, he does look outside and he sees Linda's corpse get up out of the grave that he buried her in and it starts stop motion dancing. There's a lot of stop motion in this movie. Uh, It's charming as fuck, but it's very obviously stop motion in reference to uh, Harryhausen. Apparently, one of the guys who did the stop motion used the same rig that Harryhausen would use uh, to do his stop motion. But in any case, it does this dance. They virtually wrote, like, uh, do you know what rotoscoping is? I know the name. I don't know what it means. Rotoscoping they do in games like Prince of Persia and movies like A Scanner Darkly, where you film something first and then you animate over the top of it. Like you trace out the real life stuff. And now you have animation that looks like real authentic movement because you're tracing over actual filmed actors acting. So that's rotoscoping. You learn something new every day. So yeah, if you if you want to know, A Scanner Darkly was filmed entirely first with, with the real actors, and then they animated over the top well, of it. Well, that makes sense in that, because that's it's supposed to feel unreal, because it's all, he's too drugged out. Yes. Now, this is not accurate as rotoscoping, because it's, it's not. They did still film reference material. They filmed an actual dancer doing this routine, and then the dude had to, in 3D space, make this claymation model move in the same way that this actress dancer did, to remake that dance as accurately as they can. But it is fucking ridiculous it's silly yeah it does the whole like head rolling down its arm thing and then back up when it disappears it kind of prances away yes Huzzah! like flies away <laughs> it's very funny so it disappears that's when the head attacks him you know bites his hand that's when she says dance with me yeah ash struggles to get it off puts her head in the vice it goes on for way too long yes and then he chainsaws her head and it's a really cool shot because blood gets everywhere. This is when you know it's going to be super, super bloody. Mm-hmm. Now, it's been very violent up to this point. It's been very slapstick. But when he chainsaws her head, the blood goes everywhere. And specifically, it splashes the only light in this shed. And that changes the lighting of the entire shot to red lighting. And that's why the remake has so much blood in it. They're trying to emulate this if you go back and watch our evil dead episode it's actually a double feature we talk about the remake which is actually pretty good it is but they kind of they combine the two yeah now they tried kind of to get an r rating they use different colors of blood they use black they use green but there's a lot of red blood in this like a lot gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons of it there was no way in hell they were going to get an r rating but they went to the mpaa anyway and they gave them an x they told them what needed to change and sam raimi was like i'm not fucking changing it and dino de Laurentiis was like i cannot distribute the movie through my company unless it's rated so instead what they did is they created a fake company called rosebud 
which has released one movie and one movie only, <laughs> and that's Evil Dead 2. <laughs> so they could release it unrated. Dino De Laurentiis could with Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and all the producers of their uh, production company. Good for them. Yeah, exactly. And still release it. And the the downside of releasing a movie unrated is that a lot of people won't write articles about it. A lot of people, a lot of stations won't run commercials about it if they can't guarantee that there's some sort of rating and there's a limit to what content is included in there. It's basically just an easy way for advertising companies to say, yes, I'm willing to show that content. And so they couldn't do much in the way of advertising. But there's also the word of mouth that comes from an unrated feature, which spreads. And it gets people jazzed because they're like, ooh, why isn't this rated? Yes. Before he chainsaws the head, he goes for the chainsaw. He's like, ah, chainsaw. He knows exactly what he wants. And he moves this curtain and there's the outline of a chainsaw, which some people do they they trace their tools so they know what what tools go where and this is the one there. where the chainsaw and it's not there and all of a sudden the door to the shed bursts open and here's the headless body of linda wielding this chainsaw at him and it fights he fights with them it's really a dude on a on a skateboard moving back and forth they did that yeah and he kind of manipulates it in such a way that it ends up chainsawing through its own torso. And then it still kind of starts attacking him, even though it has a chainsaw in it, until eventually it drops dead. He's able to pry the chainsaw, and that's when he chainsaws Linda's head. And now he's fucking covered with blood. <laughs> so then he's looking into the mirror, and he's telling himself, everything's going to be okay. I'm okay. Things are all right. And then uh -huh. all of a sudden, his reflection becomes alive. And it's like, I don't think so. Yes. He comes through the mirror and he's just like, we just chainsawed our girlfriend's head and body. <laughs> Nothing is okay. Yes. <laughs> we just cut up our girlfriend with a chainsaw. Does that sound bye? I love that line. It's really good. The same trick was used in Terminator 2, where in, in order to get the effect where we can see something that's impossible and have a reflection like that, they actually use two sets of actors, one being filmed from behind and the other being filmed from the front, and there is no glass in the mirror. With Terminator 2, luckily Linda Hamilton had a twin sister who could play the other version of her, and they had a fake puppet version of... Arnold Schwarzenegger so they could dig around in its head and Arnold Schwarzenegger could still be seen in the reflection. In this one, they just had a stand-in for Bruce Campbell that you see from the back of the head. But he lunges through all covered with blood and looking manic and it's so great. It's an awesome shot. It's very good. I guess the spirit takes over his hand somehow? Well, he was attacked. He was bitten by Linda. Yeah. And and it passed the infection onto him. Oh. And so his hand gets possessed. And now here's a big slapstick and violent scene of him fighting his own hand. Yeah. So if you've ever seen Idle Hands. Yes. Devin Sawa definitely saw this and was oh, totally, very yeah. much emulating it. Um, but it's really great. I think it really shows how talented Bruce Campbell oh, is God, yeah. when it comes to physical comedy. And I know we keep saying that, but I mean, he's so good at it. And it's no wonder that Sam Raimi wanted him for this part. And it also makes sense that him and Sam Raimi would work well together because... From everything that we've heard, Sam Raimi is not the easiest person to work with. Not that he's a dick, mm -hmm. but that he, he knows, knows what, what he, he wants. wants and he will get it. 
And, and so, yeah, and he'll like torture his brother to get it. <laughs> and Bruce Campbell seems more or seemed more than willing to do all the things that were necessary. Right. For this well, role. he's also a producer, so it's in his best interest to get the best thing out of it. And he trusts Sam Raimi's vision. And so when Sam Raimi tells him to do something, he just fucking does it. And it's incredible. Like, it's totally believable that his hand is possessed and, like, grabbing plates and smashing it in his face. And you, he does the front flip thing. You dirty bastards, give me back my hand! <laughs> you bastards! You dirty bastards! Give me back my hand! Give me back my hand! It's so great. It's really funny. Yeah. However, I wonder if parts of him talking are ADR'd because there's parts where he's talking and I'm pretty sure his mouth is not. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure (laughs) that it is. Yeah. And then eventually he ends up cutting off his hand, which if you remember, they also did in the remake. However, in the remake, they decided to make it where it doesn't matter if you cut off the part that was bitten you're still going to be taken over. But in this version, obviously, it's Ash, so obviously he doesn't die, because we know there's a third movie. It's pretty great. His hand starts to crawl. His hand, Well, at first, the hand is crawling to get, like, a gun and kill Bruce or something, but he ends up cutting it off. Yeah, and it scurries away. It flips him off. It runs into a mouse hole in the wall. And he ends up firing at it, and then it kind of, you hear from behind the wall, and then blood comes dripping out. He eventually gets it under, like, a box, and then he puts, like, a bunch of books on top of it, and the top one is a farewell to arms, which is silly. (laughs) It faked him out, because it wasn't really dead in there. It still comes back and attacks him, like, and then, yeah, he puts it in, like, a box or a pot or something like that and puts the books on it. Somewhere in here... Somewhere in this, we get introduced to the other two characters. They're going to take them up to the cabin. Yeah, so the daughter, Annie, Sarah Barry's character, and Ed, Richard Domier, or Domier, I don't know, show up and they see that the bridge is out. And there's a hick, played by Dan Hicks, (laughs) named Jake, and uh, Baba Joe, his girl, played by Cassie Wesley DePava. And they're there because they're blocking the road off. They're putting the sign up and they're like, there has to be some way to the bridge. And they're like, well, I guess there is that trail. We can take you down. Oh, for and he like charges them money. And she's like, "Okay, but you got to take my bags. And he looks in the car and he sees, oh, it's just one little bag. Yeah, okay." And he laughs. And then the next scene, we see him carrying her giant chest full of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that happens while all the hand nonsense is going on. So meanwhile, Bruce Campbell, who has been having a real bad night, he had to kill his girlfriend several times, cut off his hand. Yes. He's gone crazy. And so he's standing in the middle of the cabin, and all of a sudden, the deer head comes to life and starts laughing at him. It's a very famous scene. If you've ever seen the musical, it's pretty great. The the deer head sings quite a bit. Or is it a moose head? I don't know. It's a deer head. Okay. It's a buck. <laughs> he starts 
starts laughing along with it, and then other inanimate objects around the room start laughing with him. Yeah. And, and he, he starts, like, bouncing up and yeah, down. Yeah, he's going up and down, and, <laughs> and it moves along with him, uh-huh. and it's really great, really funny stuff. <laughs> But then... (laughs) But then... (laughs) But then he hears people talking outside. And he shoots at them. Yeah. And so when they bust in, they beat him up and they throw him into the cellar, which we all know, well, I guess we don't know yet, has the dead body of the mother. And we find that out through the tape. The tape explains I had to kill my wife, but I couldn't, I didn't have it in me to actually kill her. So I threw her into the cellar and they realize that they've thrown Bruce Campbell into the cellar with the mother. Yeah, that's where she pops up, played by Ted Raimi. What's in my fruit cellar? I'll swallow your soul, I'll swallow your soul. <laughs> like all the famous big lines that everybody knows that from aren't Evil delivered Dead. by Ash. Yeah, come from Henrietta. Yes, Henrietta, yes. the mother. Swallow your soul. And she is the one that in the remake. They're really doing a lot of callbacks, too. Yeah. So it is Ted Raimi in a giant bodysuit. Ted Raimi was about 20 when this was happening. And that's the only part of this movie that creeps me out. Henrietta? Yeah. I don't like looking at her. She's gross. Even when you see the broken suit, the suit that's ripped. Because there's a shot in the movie. I know there is. I know they said that. I didn't notice it while I was watching it. Yeah. So... In any case, it's this giant bodysuit, and Sam's little brother Ted is in there. You might remember Ted from getting crushed by a box with a statue in it in Wishmaster. <laughs> He's been in tons and tons of things. Basically, everything Sam Raimi has done, Ted Raimi is in. Is he uh, in Spider-Man? Starting here. Yeah, he works in the um, Daily Bugle. Because in case you forgot, Sam Raimi did the original Spider-Man series. <laughs> yes, one, two, and three. <laughs> he refuses to compromise his vision. And then when he was forced to make Spider-Man 3 and didn't want to, or at least didn't want to make that version of Spider-Man 3 with Venom in it, I think he he kind of never wanted to make a movie with Venom in it, I want to say. And when he was forced to, surprise, surprise, that's the version that everyone hates. <laughs> she attacks him. And she has to move around a lot in this movie. He basically can't breathe in this thing. I don't mean oxygen-wise, although that's part of it. He passed out several times. He just gets really, really hot. And he sweats a lot in it. And this thing is, like, waterproof. And so you can see it. There is a scene in the movie when she's hanging. She's, like, flying in the air and her head turns where there's, like, a liquid coming out of her ear. (laughs) That is Ted Raimi's sweat built up in this costume, and it mixes with the powder that's put on his skin before they put the prosthetic on, like the baby powder or whatever kind of powder it is, talcum powder, and it creates like this very, very thin paste-like substance, and so it comes dripping out. There are shots in the documentary, which is called Swallowed Souls, The Making of Evil Dead 2, which came out in 2011, 
they have a lot of behind the scenes footage, like a lot of behind the scenes footage in that. And they show one shot of uh, he takes the foot off and all the sweat is leaking out of the prosthetic uh, leg. He would just have sweat pouring out of his feet. Every, you know, we'd take the suit off and there would be like this milky sweat because it would mix with powder. That, that yeah, has, it it's doesn't gross. look like it was fun to do in no. any way. <laughs> but Ted Raimi's excuse is... I was 20. I was 20. You put up a lot with a lot of shit when you're 20. Exactly. Like, I was sitting there watching this this documentary, and I was like, fuck me. I wouldn't do any of this. And yeah. then he brought that up, and I was like, yeah, when I was 20, I probably would have done all of this. Yeah. It's amazing what 11 years will do to your life. <laughs> they were filming in North Carolina in this small town called Wadesboro, and it was really, really hot. The makeup effects guys tell the story about how they would like dip their sheets in ice water and lay it on them before they went to bed because it was so hot. And but now they, imagine he's in this rubber suit. They wanted to do that because when they made the first one, they picked a cabin in the woods and it was freezing cold. Yeah, so they picked a place that was warm this time. <laughs> and they had just apparently filmed the color purple. So Spielberg came rolling through, and then this small little production comes in after him uh, the next year, the next summer, or what have you. And apparently Wadesboro, this is in the 80s, 86 or so. They still had segregation. They still had segregation, like de facto segregation. They found a laundromat, and they were went to the laundromat, the, the makeup effects guys, and there was just only black people in the laundromat and they told them you don't want to be here mm. the white laundromat is down this street or whatever and they're like uh okay that all right and so you know they felt like they weren't welcome there so they went to the white laundromat the laundromat that has air conditioning and functioning machines and arcade cabinets and stuff like that and they're like oh my god this town is fucking segregated mm -hmm. like it's this tiny little podunk town in north carolina in any case really hot ted Raimi was a fucking trooper filming this scene as as henrietta so in all of this they decide shit we got to get this guy out of here even though we don't know who he is although they listen to that recording and they're like okay well he didn't kill my parents. So we don't know what he's doing here, why there's all this blood or whatever, but we should probably get him out of there. So they yank him out of the fruit cellar and Henrietta tries to attack them, grabs Jake, the hick by the face. And Ted Raimi apparently broke the dude's nose during one of those takes when he did that and throws Ed against a wall somewhere in the fight. Her eyeball pops out and Bobby Joe Gets it right in the mouth and ends up swallowing it. Yeah, that was gross. <laughs> uh, and But they end up being able to to lock her in the cellar. It turns back into the real Henrietta and does the whole like, oh, it's just me, I'm your mom. What does she sing? Uh, Hush Little Baby, I don't think say Hush a word. Little Baby, yeah. Which is different from the one that they sing in the remake, but still, it's the idea that they sing a song that was right. special to them. So. Annie's like, oh, my God, it's my mom. And Ash grabs her and is like, mm-mm-mm. That ain't your mom. <laughs> yeah. That's when she realizes it as well. And she's like, you're right. That thing in the cellar is not my mother. But doesn't matter if you don't unlock the cellar because now Ed's transformed. And Ed. Oh, my God, Ed. So... Apparently in his audition, he made a really cool face and they modeled, as they call it, Evil Ed. 
I told you not to call me that anymore. <laughs> Don't call me evil anymore. Uh, so they kind of modeled him after that, but the 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 demon's mouth had a wide open mouth and there are several rows of teeth and one of those rows are his real teeth. <laughs> but in order to disguise them, they wanted to put teeth behind his real teeth as well. And this whole setup meant that Ed couldn't close his mouth the entire time. And they did a test with Sam Raimi to see if he liked the makeup. And there's like drool coming from the mask. And he's like, I love it. Perfect. That was his real drool because he just <laughs> could not close his mouth to swallow. Which is kind of crazy, apparently. So, oh, oh, now Ed's a demon. And he gets, he goes up in the air and he's all twitchy. And we are the things that have been and shall be again, you know. We are the things that were and shall be again. <laughs> Famous line again. Yeah. He also rips Bobby Joe's hair out but with his mouth. <laughs> yes. And then they get the whole Dead by Dawn thing. Dead by Dawn. 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 Who calls Ash a coward? Well, because he runs away. Oh. Annie calls him a coward. He's going to get the chainsaw, but she calls him a coward, and I wrote- No, he comes back with an axe. Oh. Yeah. And I wrote, don't you dare call my Ash a coward, yeah. which is <laughs> why the next movie really upsets me. <laughs> Where are you going? Help us, you fucking coward! He basically destroys Ed with this axe. and they're, We this live! Is, we live yeah. still! <laughs> Green blood fucking everywhere, chops half of his head off. All of that. And that's when Bobby Joe loses it and runs out into the woods because she's so afraid. And that's never a good idea in this movie. Because <laughs> the tree gets her just like it did in the original. This one, it doesn't explicitly show that she's being raped. But it's pretty clear that that's what's happening. And this time also, she gets it into her face. Oh, it's a really cool effect. <laughs> You know, they do the classic, you do the motion in reverse in real time, and then you run the film backwards. So they had these prosthetics that are meant to look like her real face over the top of her, and they push them through a little bit and and get all the way through. One of them even goes into her skin and then comes out near her temple and all of that. And then they pull them all out, and then they run that in reverse, so it looks like the plant is digging into her skin and everything, and it's really kind of cool. But yeah, she's she's actually attacked by Ash's hand, and that's why she runs away. Oh. So they're going over the pages because they, they decide that, yes, we need to use this spell in order to open the portal, send the spirits back through, and close the portal again. They even notice that one in one of the drawings there's a very famous image which you might remember from army of darkness if you've seen that already where there's this man in 1300 ad and he has a shotgun and a chainsaw and a half ripped blue shirt and it's like okay that's ash yes. but that shot doesn't actually happen in this movie it happens in the next one yes so this is when jake freaks out as well because he doesn't know what happened to Bobby Joe. Nobody does. And Ash is like, she's dead, man. 
If she went out there, she's gone. Yeah. He gets pissed and he's like, no, we're saving Bobby Joe. Fuck all this shit with the spell. And he grabs the pages from Annie and lifts up the lid to the cellar and tosses the pages into the cellar. Yeah, it's super shitty. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're we're dealing with this later. First, we're going outside and we're getting Bobby Joe. That trail that they took to get there is gone now. So now there really is no way back. And they are legitimately stuck there. I think it's actually before we even see what happened to her, Annie's father shows up as a ghost. Does he? Yeah. Why don't I remember that? And he tells her there is a dark spirit here that wants to destroy you. Save oh, my yes. soul and your own lives. <laughs> so they're outside and Ash gets possessed again. That demon that possessed him in the very beginning of the movie is taking his body back over again. And he attacks Jake. Yeah, this is when I wrote, Ash can never catch a break. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he throws Jake. He runs after Annie. And she gets that weird looking ceremonial bone dagger thing, that knife that you do actually see in the first movie. So she accidentally stabs Jake. She realizes what she did, and she's like, fuck, Jake. And she pulls him in, and she drags him across the floor, getting him away from the doorways, but ends up laying him right next to the cellar door, at which point Henrietta reaches out, because her arm can fit through, grabs him by the head, and then yanks him half down the cellar door. And Annie tries to grab him by the legs and hold him up, and this is just like in the remake with you're like, what is with all this blood? It's because of scenes like this. Just blood comes shooting out of the cellar all over fucking everything. Just hundreds of gallons of blood everywhere at high pressure. And it's just way over the top and totally awesome. I absolutely love it. And when she's dragging him, he's like screaming because he's in pain and she's so annoyed because she's just like, you're fucking heavy, dude, and I have to carry you. And at one point she stops and she's just like, shut up! And it's so funny. <laughs> so funny. So Jake's dead. And now we're down to just Annie and Ash and I guess the spirit of Annie's father. <laughs> this is the iconic scene where Ash goes into the shed He's not possessed anymore at this point. He fights it off. Yes. Uh, but for how long? We yeah. don't know. And so he goes into the shed to create the amazing chainsaw arm. Yes. So they modify the chainsaw. The two of them actually work together to modify this chainsaw and build a harness for him, which does a couple of things. Oh, and he saws off with the chainsaw the shotgun which gives him a little bit more flexibility with movement and shorter range, but wider spread. And he can put it in a holster behind him because he's only one handed right now. Right. So, so the, the harness does that. It holds the shotgun. It also has a little prong on it where he has the chainsaw now fastened onto his stump. He can put it behind him and it catches the pull line and he can start it that way by yanking his hand away from his body. And that's how he starts it one handed. It's totally fucking iconic and awesome. This is the ash that you know. Mm -hmm. This is the ash that's in all of the comic books. This is in the ash that's in all the video games. It's the one that's in the entirety of Army of Darkness. If you think of ash, this is probably the ash that you think of. And that's when he says... Groovy. So good. <laughs> <laughs> they have to go down into the cellar to get those pages. 
it's somewhere around here that we see the, the Freddy Krueger glove again in a slightly different location. But they get the pages and they go out and Henrietta oh, it's way too easy. Too. That's right. Yeah. They're like, what's going on? Uh-huh. They can get the pages really easily. And at one point she throws them to him and they just sail straight through the air into his hand. Like, if I you don't were to throw happening. If you were to throw a pile of papers, they would go everywhere. Yeah. But sure. <laughs> so Henrietta does, in fact, attack them as they're trying to get out. Yes. Well, first actually attacks Annie as she's flying around and he grabs well, he, Henrietta, she, Ted Raimi, he grabs Annie, her daughter, and f- is like flying and spinning around. This is the moment where you can see that in one of the shots, in one of the takes that didn't end up in the movie, he tears the suit because some lift mechanism that they were doing wasn't working properly. He loses his balance. He falls over and he rips the suit. And now there's this giant tear in it. And and in one of the shots as she's spinning around, you can see, you can actually see that the suit is torn open. <laughs> and you get Ted Raimi's ass staring back at you. Not naked, but he's like wearing underwear or something like that. And it's spinning around. Ash comes out of the cellar and he starts fighting her and getting Annie free. And that's when she changes and more stop motion. She gets this weird skeleton face and a giant long snake neck. And he's fighting against it sometimes in POV from the perspective of Henrietta. He ends up slicing the neck. Yes, because Annie sings Hush Little Baby again to it and kind of like confuses it. Yeah. And then he chainsaw across the neck and cuts her neck off and then it keeps saying i'll swallow your soul i'll swallow your soul hey i'll swallow your soul i'll swallow your soul i'll swallow your soul (laughs) and he says swallow this (laughs) (laughs) so cool so they start reciting from the book all the trees from outside are breaking in and attacking them and she starts to recite from the book And this portal opens up, this giant face appears, the trees turn into hands, and this is where we get a really cool stop motion shot that's done entirely practically, where they just had Bruce Campbell sit there in front of a vase full of flowers, and they would whiten his temple hair a little bit, and they would take a blowtorch to the flowers to make them wilt a little bit and then they'd take a shot just like stop motion they take a frame and they do that over and over and over again so the flowers wilt and his hair streaks white and it's fun it's, it's fun really watch. fun it's obviously not realistic but it's one of those shots we were like oh well that's kind of cool animation just has a great look that you can't beat and there's just something really weird about it when you start doing it with real people <laughs> It's like with the dancing body. It's, it's, you don't, nothing, there's nothing about you that's like, oh, that's real, but it's fun to watch. Yes. So he gets grabbed by the tree hand thing and he ends up putting the chainsaw right in the thing's eye. And Annie's trying to read the part of the pages that she brought, which would send the evil back into the vortex that they opened up. But she gets stabbed by Ash's evil hand and she's, starting to die, but she's able to finally get out the final words right as they get yanked out into the vortex. And so Ash is like, what does he say? He says something like, you did it, girl, you did it, or something something like like that. that. Yeah, You did it, kid. But she's dead, because this giant thing got ripped away, the door's closed, everyone's safe. Except, the vortex hasn't closed. 
It's, he wants you too, Malachi. <laughs> there are parts to this. It's open the portal, send the evil back, close the portal. Well, they never got to that third part of closing the portal. So the door gets yanked off and all this stuff flying through the air, like the stove. <laughs> he has to duck underneath the stove that's flying through the air. And it's this really cool scene. And then he gets sucked into the portal. And he wakes up, and there's a bunch of people in armor and stuff. Middle ages. Yes, that think he's a demon, because they're used to seeing demons. And then this giant winged deadite comes flying through the air in stop motion again, and he shotguns her face right off. And then they say... He killed the Deadite! Killed the Deadite! And they're like, the hero is here! The yeah, gods. and they're chanting huzzah and all that stuff. And as they're chanting, he's no. like, no! 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 Hail no. he who has come from the skies to deliver us from the terrors of the Deadite! And that's how the movie ends. With him trapped in 1300 AD. That's where Army of Darkness takes place. There is a sequel to this, so you know how Ash gets back. Spoilers, he gets back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelsey, we have talked a lot about this movie now. Do you have anything left for the lightning round? Just that I think it's interesting... That for a lot of people, this is their favorite of the trilogy? Yes, and you know what? I probably am one of those people. I get it. It has the iconic lines. It's where he gets the chainsaw and the boomstick. But it's just, it's funny because the, the, the second one is my least favorite of the three. Really? Yeah. When's the last time you saw Army, Army of, Darkness? of Darkness? It's been a long time. But remember, Army of Darkness was the first one I saw, and I loved it. You know, I want to say it was the first one I saw, too, because I saw it on V. I remember when it was released to VHS, and that's when I saw it. And I, th I don't think I had seen any of the Evil Dead movies before that. I think that's the case for a lot of people, honestly, because Army of Darkness was much more widely released when it came out. Uh, the first one was a cult classic. The second one did much better than the first one, but it only made a couple million dollars. Like five point something in the theaters. But then Army of Darkness came out and it released much wider because it had built up this cult audience by this point. Uh, so I imagine that's the case for a lot of people. Well, so that's the first one I saw. So I was like, this was awesome. And then I saw the first one and I loved it even more. And then by the time I got around to seeing the second one, you know me, I'm not, I'm not way into slapstick. And even though I can see that Bruce Campbell is very talented in slapstick, just like I know, I don't, I don't watch Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and be like, this is boring and stupid. I, I respect it. I watch it and I feel a lot of reverence for it. But it's not my cup of tea. It's not something I would sit down and normally watch. And there's so much of it in this movie that I get kind of turned off. Like the scene, like I said at the beginning, 
where he's fighting the head. I was just like, God, how much longer is this? <laughs> I love when he fights his hand. Because he just does a phenomenal yeah. job. No, I kind of love how everything just gets bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where you're like, it can't get bigger than this. And it does every single time. It just gets more gory, more ridiculous, more over the top every single scene. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until there's this giant face in the doorway with a tree hand grabbing it. <laughs> and he chainsaws it in the eye. Like, it's kind of nuts. I just feel like... I really don't like the beginning. I think the beginning is just like, oh my God, get to the story. And then some of the scenes just go on for too long. Not to say that I don't enjoy it. I mean, like I just admitted, this is where the famous stuff comes from. And, and if you love the Evil Dead trilogy, then you kind of have to like this one. But it is certainly my least favorite of the three. That's so funny. I can totally see the first one is a lot more straightforward. And I like that. Yeah, it's a lot more like legitimate horror I'm as a opposed simple to slapstick gal, horror. Okay. <laughs> I'm a simple person. <laughs> All right. I like linear stories. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, you like like serious horror yes. more than you like comedy horror. Yes. Um, there are certain comedy horrors that you like. You know, you do like Shaun of the Dead. I love Shaun of the Dead. You like Dead. Zombieland, right? I like Zombieland. It's okay. What do you think this got on Rotten Tomatoes? It's a 98. That is correct. That's amazing. How did you guess exactly right? I could never know. <laughs> She saw the scar. <laughs> Evil Dead 2's increased special effects and slapstick gore make it as good, if not better, than the original. Metacritic of 69, dudes. 69, dudes! No cinema score. Do you think overrated or underrated? I understand why it has a 98, but I think totally. it's overrated. Yeah, I totally get why it has a 98. But, I mean, come on. <laughs> it's not a perfect movie <laughs> no it is very good yeah and it it might be let me check real quick so far this might be oh no not poltergeist yeah it's tied for the second highest rating i'm gonna give a movie so far this year so what's your what would you give it i'm gonna give it an 85 not far off from what you gave the original, which was 89. We both gave the original an 89. I would give this one a 90. I think. It's just, I mean, that's, I had written down 90 before I looked up what our old rating was. I was just curious because I said I liked it better than the original. I'm like, oh, what was I, what did I give the original? I gave the original an 89. We both did. I think the only reason I probably didn't give the original Evil Dead a higher score is simply because it's not made all that well. Um, right. It was like the first major motion picture that they made, which, by the way, they had no plans of making a series out of. Absolutely none. It was just the easiest way to get your foot in the door in filmmaking is to make a horror movie. It requires little in terms of some amazing script or Which anything like that. Which we don't appreciate, but it's unfortunately true. No, it's, it's very true. Yeah, it just If sucks. you have never made a movie and you want to make a movie, make a horror. Because people aren't necessarily looking for the next, you know, Schindler's List or whatever. 
uh, when they see a horror when they movie. see a horror movie which is unfair they want excitement <laughs> so if you can get the general emotion out of people you succeed with a horror you can't necessarily do that with like a comedy or a drama because a drama if you're not really skilled at making a drama it's boring a comedy if you're not really skilled at that script writing and delivery and the stuff jokes fall flat yeah the jokes fall flat so horror is like Okay, well, even if it's not scary, it might still be interesting or fun. Or fun, yeah. So there, there's there are a lot of safety nets when it comes to horror, and they're a lot of fun to make. You know, even if they may be very difficult to make. Yeah, this didn't look like it was fun to make. The first one we told stories of in our original episode uh, was not fun to make at all. They had they all had a miserable time of it when they made the first one and they're like fuck all that again <laughs> and so when they decided they were going to make the sequel they made a bunch of changes including Sam Raimi sat down with one of his producers and they planned out the entire shoot which normally he didn't do they knew what shots they were going to get on what day it was the first time Sam Raimi ever did a storyboard they were very disciplined when it came to this stuff but not so much so that it wasn't still fun it was very obviously fun fun making this one it just wasn't as miserable because they actually had a plan that they could keep to right and they were they were better at their jobs than they were originally and they can do over the top things that they didn't know how to do before they had more experienced crew members with the dp bruce campbell tells a story in the documentary i was talking about swallowed souls i think is what i called it about how they fired half of the production crew or a third of the production crew because over the course of one weekend. everything that Sam wanted to do. Right. And like we said before, Sam knows what he wants and he will get it. Um, and if you can't deliver or you're resistant and you're a roadblock, well, then why is he going to pay you to do the job? He pays you to provide your unique vision and skill, but not to be a contrarian to what he wants. So when they got... The DP that they got, they really clicked very well, and apparently oftentimes Sam would go with shots that he came up with, because he wasn't a contrarian, they worked very well together. And obviously Bruce, his main actor, who's also a co-producer, they work really well together, there's shots of them behind the scenes where they like... Are playing around. Yeah, they're like so simpatico, like they fit together well, so well. they grew well. up together. Yeah, a third of the production crew, because they were like no, we're not going to do that, or that's stupid, why would we do that, or whatever. And so they ended up firing the whole freaking crew. But anyway, anything else to say about Evil Dead 2? Just that I absolutely love Ash, and I love the series. Ashley Williams. Oh, Ashley. Ashley J. Williams. All he right. will always be Ash to me. Yeah, no, he's Ash to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that was 1987's Evil Dead 2. Also. Dead by Dawn. Ash was very attractive back then. Oh, good lord, yeah. Even with his slight unibrow thing he has going on, he has these chiseled features. Apparently he worked ate really well, worked out every morning, drank a lot of water, so he was always well hydrated. Like, apparently he was in excellent shape and very disciplined, and then you could watch him do the slapstick over and over and over again, and it's like, how is this guy who's just so, like disciplined when it comes to taking care of himself just like a big joker and a and a really good performer um, sounds amazing yeah uh-huh and then you get the version of bruce campbell in my name is bruce <laughs> which we will get to in a second first trivial pursuit horror edition as of 2018 1982's the thing 
was one of how many film collaborations between Kurt Russell and John Carpenter? Four. Is it five? Five. Damn, what am I missing? Elvis, Escape from New York, The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from L.A. The fuck is Elvis? I have no idea. I mean, Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell played Elvis in 3,000 Miles to Graceland, didn't he? Isn't he one of the Elvises in 3,000 Miles to Graceland? Oh, it uh, it's a TV movie from 1979. Uh, okay, that's why I'd never heard of it before. Elvis. Oh. Yes, he did play Elvis in 3,000 Miles to Graceland. <laughs> so he has played Elvis in multiple things. Apparently, he's a very big fan of Elvis. Uh, he was in an actual Elvis Presley movie that was in his that was his first movie he was ever in called It Happened at the World's Fair from 1963. So, yeah, interesting. Fine. I knew Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. <laughs> and The Thing and Big Trouble in Little China. That's where I came up with the four. I could not think of Elvis because I had literally never heard of it before. All right, Kelsey, in Insidious, 2010, what does Elise Rainier call the purgatory realm where Dalton Lambert is trapped? The Further. Yeah, good job. I liked that movie. It's a good I movie. That movie. It's a good movie, even though The Further is a stupid name <laughs> and the way she delivers it, that line is also stupid. Lost where? In a place that I call the further. What does that mean? It's a great movie. It's really good. Yeah. Took us by surprise. We just happened to go and see it one day in the middle of the day. It scared the hell out of me. It's really good. Yeah. I mean, James Wan, man. He can make some good movies. Except he made all the Saw movies. Exactly. <laughs> or most of the Saw movies or And whatever. doesn't he make it? Didn't he make the spin-off? Oh, no. He didn't do Annabelle, did he? No. Somebody else did that shit. Yeah, he did... Aquaman, which we still haven't seen. We will. Yeah. All right, Kelsey. Here we go. Here it comes. 2007's My Name is Bruce. Written by Mark Verheiden, who is also the author of the Evil Dead comic books. And he was the showrunner on Ash vs. the Evil Dead, which was a follow-up TV show to Army of Darkness. Directed by Bruce Campbell. And starring Bruce Campbell, Grace Thorson, Taylor Sharp, and Ted Raimi again in three different roles, which are not so great. What is My Name is Bruce about? A teenager who is obsessed with Bruce Campbell unwittingly unleashes a Chinese god who... I don't even really understand the story. It doesn't really matter. He unleashes a Chinese god that's going to kill people, that killed his people or something. He, he's obsessed with Bruce Campbell, so he goes and gets Bruce Campbell to come and fight them. Only It's basically Three Amigos with a Chinese demon. It is, but the bit I was going to say, it's the big difference between this and Three Amigos is there's no question he's fully aware that he is an actor, but for some insane reason believes that he can fix the problem. In Three Amigos, they think they're really desperados. And that they can really save them. Here, he's oh, fully... Oh, the, the boy knows he's the actor. Yeah, the... I thought you were talking about Bruce Campbell knows he's an actor. I'm like, wait, what? No. <laughs> the teenage boy knows that Bruce Campbell is just an right, actor. But he looks up to him so much, he doesn't realize that he's he's just a dude whose name is Bruce. And he's a bitter 
man who's been wallowing in obscurity for years. So, look, I don't mind a couple jabs at him being a washed up actor. I'm pretty and, sure. Yeah, no, and he's in on the joke. Yeah, so he it's totally, totally is. Fine. I get that. But I was expecting, I don't know. I wanted this to be more of a love letter to Brias Campbell than it was. I mean, it. It kind of is insofar as you got to understand that the character Bruce in the movie is not Bruce Campbell, really, the actor. I do understand No, no, I know. I'm just saying that, like, it's a love letter to the kind of stuff that Bruce is famous for. This kind of deliberately schlocky, over-the-top, ridiculous horror. Yeah, and I I think it went too far for me. Evil Dead 2... Never goes too far. No, it, gets it really close. doesn't. No, it gets crazy and silly and funny, but it's never like look at the camera, wink. Right, like this movie totally does. Yeah, and yeah, so this movie just goes too far, and it made it very difficult to enjoy. Should people watch the movie? If you're a Bruce Campbell fan, you've already like, seen it. I think probably. I was going to say, if you're a huge Bruce Campbell fan, you absolutely have to see it. And then it's like, well, you probably already have. Exactly. Uh, if you're a big enough Bruce Campbell fan to where you should see this movie, you have seen the movie. Like, like there, there is no way you haven't seen this movie and you should see it. Like, that just, it doesn't line up. Yeah. If you haven't seen it yet, you shouldn't see it. It's not good. It's not great. There are moments. Moments. There are moments. There are moments. And Bruce Campbell, as an actor... Is Not great. as a character. The as an actor is great. Yeah, he's he's tons of fun. Committed to it and totally. Fun. And I love. He doesn't that. care how bad it makes him look. Oh yeah, it's 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 really really cool. But the movie itself is. Oh my god! Awful. It's chock full of and the laughs just aren't there. Like, no, they're it, not. It falls flat so often. It's chock full of Orientalism. Oh yeah, there's a, there's racism, there's sexism, homophobia, transphobia. Yeah, there are two gay jokes in this movie, and I'll tell you what they are right now. Somebody asked him if working with Ellen DeGeneres made him gay. He said no, but that question did. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. And, you know, he gets offended by the fact that somebody would, you know, he's not afraid of being called gay, but he he's offended by the fact that working with Ellen DeGeneres would make you gay. What kind of fucked up question is that? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like he's standing up for gay people. And then later in the shot, we get two people who have been in Bruce Campbell movies before who play two hicks that are in love with each other and openly gay. But it's almost like they, they do that so they can get a laugh. And yes, they're, they're bold, they're out there, they're perfectly proud of who they are, and it's like, yes, Hicks can be gay too, and it's like it has that message to it, but it is structured in such a way where it's designed for you to laugh at the fact that they're gay. So, like, every time where you think they might do something a little progressive, it's like, nope, that's homophobic. Like, that's that's maybe just a little bit too far. I don't know, I felt... The joke is that they're gay. That's the joke. That's the entire substance of the joke. It ain't great. If they were just gay, that would be one thing. But they're not. They make a joke about it. And it's kind of that sprinkled throughout the entire thing. It's very lowbrow humor. It's very... (sighs) Yeah, I was very surprised that the year this came out... 2007. Especially with the racist jokes. That was surprising. And Ted Raimi... Yeah. Ted Raimi, who plays this 
elderly Chinese man and does the whole English thing. And then he plays an Italian, which maybe uh, people don't care quite as much if you make fun of an Italian in their accent. But it's still like the same semantically. It's the same thing. He does you know, Italian jokes with the accent and all of that. Like he plays multiple roles and two out of three of them are just racist jokes. I may be some SJW, but it seemed way unnecessary. And I think I would have enjoyed the movie a lot more if they just didn't go there, you know? I guess. I mean, even if it wasn't for that, I don't know how much I would like it. The jokes are just not there. They're not. Like there's one moment that I really like when he leaves the set. He's attacked by all these nerds. Like, I I would love to meet Bruce Campbell and yeah. have him make fun of me. I, uh-huh. That would make me so happy. But that's honestly the only thing I can think of right now that I enjoyed. I also really enjoyed how much the teenager loved Bruce Campbell. Jeff, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just me living vicariously. I would love to go to Bruce Campbell, knock him out, yeah. and take him home with me. <laughs> just that, like, that is really funny that that's part of the plot. <laughs> but other than that, yeah. So we're not probably not going to have too much to say about no, this. No, no. But if you're curious about what happens in the movie, we will go over it and we'll we'll have a and conversation about it. you can watch it, it if you want to. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. It's hard to find. It really is. You, basically, if you want to get it legally and you don't own it on disc, you have to have a con TV subscription, which is like convention TV <laughs> on, uh, via Amazon. So good luck finding it legally if you don't already own it. When we get back, we will talk about 2007's My Name is Bruce. You know his movies. Maniac Cop? Moonwarp? You know his name. Bruce Campbell is the greatest actor of his generation. Bruce Campbell. Hey, I know that guy. Unlike most action stars, I can speak, what's the word, English. He's kind to animals. Time for some hooch. Hooch for the pooch. He loves his fans. Give me your autograph. And. Mr. Campbell, we need your help. When your town's in trouble. A group of teenagers unwittingly unleash Guan Di, the Chinese god of war, protector of the dead. And unless you help us stop him, he will kill every one of us. He's the only man. You need someone who can take on a heinous monster and stop him in his tracks. For the job. That would be me. Yip, yip, Grab your guns. You guys ready for some violence? Grab your women and get ready. Sure you ready for this, Bruce? Kid, I made a movie in Bulgaria. I'm ready for anything. For the legend, Bruce Campbell, Ted Raimi. My name is Bruce. Where the heck did you find this evil dead shampoo? Bruce, that's strain cleaner. Maybe that would explain the burning sensation. Kelsey, before we get started, I wanted to say stick around to the end of the episode because we have watched us and we're going to talk some non-spoilery thoughts about the movie uh, at the end of the episode, so be sure to stick around for that. But can you get us started, please, for the love of God, get us started on My Name is Bruce. So we open on these two guys singing a song about Guan Di. Guan Yu, Guan Mi, Guan Di. Guan Di is his name. Guan Di is his name. Guan you, Guan me, Guan Di. 
So he's the Chinese demon that's going to come after them. And we see these guys, like, I don't know, three times in the movie? Something like that, three or four. And they're singing, like, a folk song about yeah. Guandi. Uh, now, Guandi is an actual, real, as real can be in this case, Chinese god. When they say Guan Yu, Guan Mi, Guan Di, that's because another name for Guandi is Guan Yu. And they're just playing on that. He was a real person, but apparently he was deified shortly after uh, his death. I say shortly, within a couple hundred years, that is. He is not, in fact, the patron of bean curd. He really represents concepts like loyalty and family and sticking together and doing the right thing and stuff like that. That is Guandi, and that's probably all the research you're going to get out of us on this one. I do not want... My name is Bruce to make me do more work than is absolutely necessary. Aww. So they sing a song about Guan Di, fun little folk tale. It explains that in like 1871, their town Goldlick. I don't really know. It. I didn't really understand. Something yeah. happened. A bunch of Chinese workers died. There were Chinese immigrant workers working in the mines and the mine collapsed. And I guess that's why Guan Di is angry. I don't know. Maybe, and they had to seal him up, or did he save the Chinese workers? I. They said it once or twice, and it just was not clear enough for me to care. Like, I don't want you guys to get the wrong impression. It's not that I don't care about the movie, or I didn't care to watch it. I was totally on board when this movie started. It's just not very clear clear <laughs> and it's not to say that they don't say explicitly what the story is it's just that they kind of say it and forget about it and it just yeah. kind of never comes up mm -hmm. then cut to uh these two teenage like this was made in 2007 so this yes. was they're goths yeah, it's not really goth it's more emo, emo. Goths. yeah yeah it's the scene kids that's what they definitely were they're the ones that wear all black and they wear eyeliner and they Put gel in their hair to make spikes or... Yeah, I guess the other kid, Jeff's friend. So Jeff's the main kid character and his buddy, he's the more seen kid. I looked at him immediately and I was like, Fallout Boy. Yeah. Pete uh -huh. Wentz. Yes. <laughs> they are driving to meet some girls at the cemetery for the Chinese people and... I immediately saw he has a stack of movies, and the first, the top one was Maniac Cup, which got me really excited. Yeah. And then he went through and he listed all of these movies. I don't even know if they really- They're not all real. No. They're not all real. No. Okay. <laughs> and some of them are elements of this movie, like Cave Alien. <sighs> He's filming Cave Alien 2 in this movie, so Cave Alien is just part of this. Yeah, no, not all of them are real. Okay. Yeah, because I didn't think they would be. I mean- all of these movies that they said, Moon Warp, Death of the Dead, Man with the Screaming Brain, Alien Apocalypse, Cave Alien, Bubba Hotep. So there's all these movies, and Bubba Hotep is a real one, and they have a funny line there. Man with the Screaming Brain is a real one, too. Because one guy, the kid who looks like he's from Fallout Boy, is making fun of him for liking all this stuff. And he goes, eh, I guess I kind of liked Bubba Hotep. And the kid goes, everyone loved Bubba Hotep. <laughs> Besides, kind of like Bubba Hotep. Everyone liked Bubba Hotep. I absolutely remember Bubba Hotep. I own Bubba Hotep. We're going to watch it eventually. It's going to happen. I've never seen it. 
Uh, Alien Apocalypse is a real movie that came out like just before this. Yeah, Man with the Screaming Brain, Bubba Hotep. Those are all real. Okay. So he's saying, you know, like, you got to grow up. You got to get out of this monster movie crap. Being into Bruce Campbell won't get you laid. And the other kid's just like, Bruce Campbell's the greatest actor of his generation. Bruce Campbell is the greatest actor of his generation. Man with the Screaming Brain. Alien Apocalypse. Oh, oh, here's a good one. Cave Alien. That is a good one. Get out of the car. What? You don't like Bruce, you walk. Yeah. <laughs> Which is silly, but... Yeah, it's obviously tongue-in-cheek, right? Yes. Like, that's the point. It's... It's a movie about Bruce Campbell, starring Bruce Campbell, directed by Bruce Campbell. They can't just be outright Bruce Campbell's great. They got to make the fans of Bruce Campbell weirdos. And I'm fine with yeah. that. But when he said Bruce liking Bruce Campbell won't get you laid, I was like, that is wrong. <laughs> that is a wrong statement. But so they're going to the cemetery to meet these two goth chicks. And... They make fun of him. He like screams and they're like, you scream like a girl and let's break stuff. You yeah, know? they like kick over the wood grave site markers. They look and... historical. Let's break something. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. But so the combination of them knocking over these, basically desecrating these grave sites and then. The kid picks up a stone that he finds. Yes. Out of a wall. Yeah. So that combination that's Freeze what wakes Guan him D. up. Yeah. So the stone is what allows him to be released, and the breaking of these headstones is what infuriates him. So he comes out and he kills all three of them except for Jeff. Jeff manages to get away. But, like, he keeps waiting. He's trying to, like, wait for his friend, but his friend gets his hand cut off on a girl's boob. And, yeah. like, right away. He's full of shit like that. Yeah, like, as soon as that happened, I was like, okay, I, I see what I'm going to get here. Yes. But it gets worse. It's going to be one of those movies. It's basically Santa's sleigh, but with stuff that I like. <laughs> so then we get to see where Bruce Campbell is. And Bruce Campbell is filming Cave Alien 2. And he's supposed to be a washed-up actor. You know, he hasn't been anything good in a very long time. But on top of that... He's just a piece of shit. He's a dick. He's a womanizer. He's not even nobody, a good one. <laughs> nobody likes him. But they establish really early on that Bruce Campbell, the actor, director, all of that, is in on the joke when he drinks a dude's pee. Yes. One of these assistants walking around, he tells him to get him some lemon water. And the dude pees into a bottle and then hands it to him. And he takes a sip. And as the dude's walking away, he's like, hey. This is warm. <laughs> it's like, oh, we'll, we'll we'll bring some cool bottles to your trailer tomorrow. Don't worry. Oh, oh, hey, Tiny. Fetch me another lemon water, will you? They just ran out, man. Well, then, dude, you run out. Capiche? Come on, now. Good. Give me some lemon water. Give me some sugar, baby. All right. Perfect. Wow. I this much. Mr. Campbell, that uh, refreshing lemon water you asked for, uh, sir. Thanks. Hey, this is warm. Sir, I'm sorry. I'll make sure we get an ice cold case of it in your trailer by the morning. All right. You're lucky. See to it. Man, <laughs> that's good. <sighs> so then when he's leaving the set, 
This is my favorite part. They leave and there's this group of fanboys out there and they all like want to talk to him. And he's just handing out pictures and like one of them stops him and he's like, Mr. Campbell, when <laughs> when you were in Army of Darkness, uh, when you're stuck down in the pit, how'd you get your shotgun back? I'll talk to the writer, man. I don't know. <laughs> Kelsey was very tickled by that one. It made me very happy. And then, like, at one point, somebody asked him a question. He's like, look it up on the internet. (laughs) Which I liked, too. Yeah. So he goes to meet up with his agent agent because he's really upset. He's like, dude, like, everything I do is shit now. Like, what are we going to do about this? And they meet in a strip club. And the guy obviously doesn't give a shit about Bruce Campbell. The guy... Ted Raimi. Oh, Ted Raimi. Yeah. Sorry. Ted Raimi is his agent. And Ted Raimi obviously doesn't care about him. We find out later that he's sleeping with Bruce Campbell's ex-wife. Yes. Yeah. So it's interesting that you bring that up because Ted Raimi is eventually like, it's your wife. It's your ex-wife, isn't it? That's making you so upset. Oh, I have the actual lines. Do you want to know the actual lines? Sure. He says, it's Cheryl, isn't it? It's Cheryl, isn't it? No. It's Cheryl. I said no. You can't stop thinking about it. If I say no three times, will the Candyman come out? (laughs) Which is funny because it's a reference to a horror movie, even though it's an incorrect reference to to a horror movie. It's supposed to be five Five times. Five times for Candyman. But Ted Raimi died in Candyman. He was the boyfriend that dies, like, right away in Candyman. At oh, the was very he? beginning of the movie, yeah, uh-huh. he was the kind of dickhead boyfriend who was impatient and why? Yeah, why not? <laughs> it's funny. And he's like, "Oh, but I got something special for you for your birthday." <laughs> Bruce Campbell's like, "You remembered my birthday? You were fired before. You're twice as fired now." Okay, you'll never know what I got you for your birthday. My birthday? You actually remembered my birthday? <laughs> He's so sweetly pathetic. <laughs> it makes me so sad. Like, I'm just like, I, Bruce Campbell, if he ever was, like, living in a trailer, I'd just be like, just come live in my house. I'll take care of you. Yeah. You just gotta he do He seems some- like a pretty cool dude. Yeah. So then he goes home and he puts on the TV and he lives in, like, a trailer, <laughs> a really shitty trailer, and he puts on the TV and there's a story about him, and it's funny. He's like, hey, I, I know that guy. And now, part nine of an ongoing exclusive investigative series. Oh, who wants to watch that Next, horse shit? we take shit. a scary look at the life and times of B-movie horror star Bruce Campbell. Hey, I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> like in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Hey, I know that dude. <laughs> I know that dude. And there is a lot of callbacks to Evil Dead 2 and his antics. There's a lot of silly faces and physical humor. And then the other guy uh, shows up, the kid, the teenager, and he tries to tell him about Guan Di. And he's just like, whatever the fuck. And he tries to get rid of him. So the kid knocks him out (laughs) and gets him into the trunk of his car. And when he's in there, he wakes up and he's like, oh, my God, he's a fan. It finally happened. (laughs) Look, Mr. Campbell, I know you're probably tired and sore and suffering from concussion, but is it true you're making a sequel to Cave Alien? Oh, my God. He's a fan. It finally happened. Like, there's just so many, like, little one-liners that are good. 
not so many. There's there's a handful, but like they're really good, and it's a shame that the rest of the movie couldn't be like that. You yeah. know. So when he gets out of the trunk of the car, he thinks this is the birthday present that the that his agent was talking about. Yeah, because like in like in um, Happy Birthday. Yeah, because Cheryl. Cheryl said, oh, he he's planning something for something big for your birthday. And so he just assumes this is it. It's all a ruse. And I mean, it's effectively like we said earlier, it's it's three amigos. It's that storyline where you take a celebrity because you think he's he's the equivalent of the roles that he plays. You bring him to this podunk town to save the villagers from such and such. And the dude thinks that it's all fake and it's all an act and then he finds out that it's real and he is a coward but then he needs to suck it up and actually defend the town and then they succeed like that is three amigos that's this movie too so you basically just told them what happens <laughs> yes yeah, it's no, I okay know. No, i know i'm just saying <laughs> but at the very end actually it's not supposed to end with a happy ending they think they've got guandi back where he belongs and he pops up and they're like ah and then the movie stops uh-huh and bruce campbell turns to the his director he's like how about we give it a happy ending look i'm sorry but these shock endings are a ripoff i mean we just killed the creature like 30 seconds ago and now it's back the fans deserve better and come on for once could we please have a happy ending to a horror film? Right. And then we see, like, the silly happy ending. Happy, happy, happy. Oh, I never knew life could be so swell. Well, once you've made love to Bruce Campbell, way, you never go back. <laughs> Father, mother, I've just been accepted to Harvard. <laughs> I told you that C average was nothing to worry about. <laughs> Group hug. <laughs> you happy? You happy? Oh, yes. <laughs> We're all happy. Uh, one big happy family. Uh, I'm rich. I got into a good school, you know. Like, Have you seen Wayne's World? <laughs> yeah, very much like yeah. that. So that was cute. Yeah. Like that part, too. It's a fun little final shot. And there are a couple of other fun things. When he pops out of the car and he thinks that he, it's a birthday present, he turns to the mayor of the town. He has to go do something. And he's like, don't do anything quaint until I get back. Yes. I'll be right back. Don't do anything quaint until I return. Oh, God, I loved that line. It was so cute. That's a really good one. When he's deciding what weapons he needs, Jeff is like, I got you this. And he presents them with this really bitchin' chainsaw. He says, you know, Jeff, I've gotten a lot of use out of chainsaws over the years. Killed a lot of zombies, saved a lot of lives. But at the end of the day, when push comes to shove... They're just too damn heavy. So, uh, thanks just the same, kid. <laughs> Which is sad, so we never get to see him with a chainsaw. Yeah, but it's a funny little nod, a wink and a nod, an in-joke. That's pretty good. There's a weird-ass scene... Where he's trying to get with the teen's mom. Is this is this the dancing scene? There's like, it, I wrote, this, what is this dancing scene? Yeah, there's this whole long dancing scene. It's really strange. It's very strange. I don't even know how to describe it. The tone is all over the place. I don't know what they're trying to do. I think it's supposed to be funny. It's not. And it's just, it's very odd. 
There's a part where he and the mom like fall in love or whatever. And at one point he's going off to go after Guan Di and he yells out to her, I'll be back. I can't wait to see those beautiful blue eyes. And she yells out, my eyes are brown, you dumb shit. Uh (laughs) When they interrupt him when he's about to kiss her, he's like, oh, come on, I can smell her chapstick. Yes, that was funny Just great delivery of lines. Really, seriously, if you look at some of the stuff that Bruce Campbell has made, until, like, even during the past decade or so, because this occurs just over a decade ago, like, he was just criminally underused like criminally he was in burn notice as the best friend guy which was great i watched burn notice for several seasons before i gave up on that show uh he's obviously in ash versus the evil dead which is the sequel series to the evil dead movies like he should be doing way more than he's doing and of course he makes a cameo in every sam raimi movie or almost every sam raimi movie he's in all the spider-man yes he is who is he in spider-man he's the guy who gives him the name in the first spider-man he's the guy who announces him he's like um oh that's him yes the man spider is like that's a stupid name and he calls him the spider-man what's your name kid the human spider the human spider that's it that's the best you got yeah oh that sucks the sum of three thousand dollars will be paid to the terrifying, the deadly, the amazing Spider-Man. My name's the Human Spider. So he gives him the name Spider-Man in part three. He's he's the Mater D that's trying to organize the proposal and get the ring out to the table, but keep having to turn around every time Mary Jane gets upset. Romance. I am French. I forget what he is in number two. It's going to come to me later, and I'm going to feel like an idiot. I'm sorry, sir. No one will be seated after the doors are closed. It helps maintain the illusion. Yeah, he's in all of these. And he says at one point, he has a line, you don't know fear, kid. You've never worked with Sam Raimi. (laughs) (laughs) We hear the stories about working with Sam Raimi. So when he goes and he finally sees that Gwandi's real, he's like, retreat, right? Yeah. So he runs away, and... He keeps trying to get on cars because he thinks that the car is going to drive away and he keeps yelling things. And like the first one, like, um, you can take your crappy ass town and shove it right up your. Wait, where are we going? Yeah. And it parks. (laughs) (laughs) He does it like twice. And it's that's see, that's clever. Like, that's Uh funny. I mean, I saw it coming, but like, it's still funny. Right. And he commits to every delivery. He's really what makes this movie like 100 percent. Which isn't saying much. <laughs> when they're trying to trick Guandi to get back into the mine shaft, the plan is to have Bruce use this cutout of himself that the teen had. So he's going to put that inside the mine to get Guandi to go inside, and then they're going to blow it up, right? So the way that he does it, he's like, do do do, just walking, and then he's like, oh hey, oh, hey, look, a mine shaft, and that goes inside. Like there's little things like that that are super cute, and I enjoyed them a lot. But unfortunately, they're just too few of those times. And its biggest problem with the movie is that it's just full of crass, unnecessary jokes that makes fanboys chuckle. I said earlier that they try to be on the good side of things. Like there's the prostitute, which he finds out is really what his agent got him for his birthday. But she's trans and she's going to get an operation next week. And she's kind of badass and doesn't take any guff. 
But still, the joke is, the thing you're supposed to laugh at is that she's trans. But then later on, he's like, oh, kind of, maybe I will have sex with you or whatever, you know? Yeah, so he's like... It, it kind of goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. Then there's, like, literally an Ingress joke where he says, Gwandi has been unleashed from his grave. And Bruce Campbell says, did you say unreached? And he says, unleashed, unleashed, don't you speak English? It's like, that was in, that was in Lethal Weapon. One of the Lethal Weapon movies, like that joke. That's really fucking dated. It's not original. And it's just shitty. And it's just full of stuff like that. So after Bruce Campbell makes himself out to be a total coward, the kid calls him up to let him know, hey, I'm going to go in after it. You were right. I should do this myself. So he comes to save the kid. And when he gets there, the mom is throwing away all the Bruce Campbell memorabilia. And she's got, like, a doll of him. And he's like, oh, no, you can't. That's special edition. And she's like, can't I? And then she lets it go. Uh And his face is so good. He looks just mortified that she would do that. She says at that point, you're still here? Don't you have a bad movie to make? And I wrote down, he's making one, sweetheart. Waka waka. I love Bruce Campbell. He has, there's an angel versus devil on his shoulder scene. That was a funny scene. That was funny, yeah. I liked that. There were, yeah, What's he trying to think of? What I mean, what's... Is whether he, he should go back. Right? Oh, whether he should go back and save the kid. Yeah. Yeah, that was funny. Ah, oh, don't listen to him. Kid's an asshole. Fuck him. Nobody lives forever. Obviously, there's tons of references. We talk about all the movies. He had a novel, kind of like Ellen DeGeneres' My Point and I Do Have One, where it's supposed to be kind of memoir-ish, but it's actually not real at all. It's the persona is telling the story. It's called Make Love the Bruce Campbell Way. (laughs) At one point, he says, once you make love the Bruce Campbell way, you'll never go back. Uh, He's wearing like the smoking jacket from the cover of that book in that final happy scene (laughs) at the end. So there are tons and tons of references in this. This is basically a vehicle for references. I was expecting this movie to be a lot more like Three Amigos. However, I was expecting, I don't know, I guess I was kind of hoping, I don't know why, I had this weird idea in my head that he worked in a grocery store and that the, like, demons attacked the grocery store. No, you're thinking of Army of Darkness. Is it Army of Darkness? That's an Army of Darkness, yeah. Oh. Shop smart, shop S-mart. But I thought that, like... They would attack, and then, like, everyone would be like, hey, it's Ash! And he'd have to be like, no, I'm Bruce. And, like, they push him forward, and, like, he would have to take care of everything as Bruce Campbell because everyone thinks of him as Ash. Like, I thought that's where it was going to go. Well, the the description of the movie says mistaken for his character Ash from the Evil Dead Which is not what happens at all. Which is not what happens at all, yeah. So that's a bummer. There's also the blacksmith from Army of Darkness makes a joke about a blacksmith in the movie. There's also a character played by Dan Hicks, who was Jake in Evil Dead 2. So, you know, there's a lot of cameo appearances in the movie as well. Did you know that a large portion of this movie was actually filmed on Bruce Campbell's property? Good for him. Where they built a back lot. Yeah. So all like the the yeah, exterior that's the funny shots thing. on his like, property. You'd have to do a lot to t- to prove to me that he doesn't have money. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's like a huge millionaire or no. anything like that. But yeah, I mean, but he could buy a big plot of land in a in a in middle America or something. That was yeah. an odd choice for me. I was like, why? I I get the he's joke. Supposed to be pathetic, yeah. Uh-huh. But like, it doesn't really work. Like. <laughs> 
It's all about this fake character that they're building. Right, I understand. But like, I guess you could say he squandered his money. Plenty of actors do. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's silly to me to say that he doesn't have money. <laughs> so Kelsey, what do you think that what if Full Moon made Three Amigos got on Rotten Tomatoes? 38? Seriously? Yeah. That's exactly right. Really? 38%. My name is Bruce succeeds or fails based entirely upon the viewer's opinion of Bruce Campbell, an unreasonable burden for even the most accomplished actor. Metacritic of 36. Overrated or underrated? I'd say overrated. Yes, but by how much? I'm going to give it a 15. That low, huh? Bruce Campbell doesn't save it enough for you? Is that the only reason I has 15? Fine, 25. No, don't let me talk you into it. I just want to, I'm asking you how you arrived there. That's all. I was thinking purely on like the jokes that I liked based on that alone. It was 15 and that was it. Yeah. Then you're like, don't you love Bruce Campbell? And I'm like, yes, I do. So I'm going (laughs) to give him a 25. I was literally thinking somewhere between 25 and 30. I'll be generous. I'll give it a 30. It is. If you love Bruce Campbell, you should watch this movie, I guess, but you've probably already seen it. So there it is. <laughs> that is 2007's My Name is Bruce, unfortunately. Such promise. Such promise. And it wasn't like it was poorly directed by Bruce Campbell no. either. I thought it was directed fine. I mean, for an intentionally bad, low-budget horror movie, it was... Great. Yeah, sure. Did exactly well what it wanted made. to do. Well made, yeah. yeah uh-huh. It's just that too much of it just fell on its face. Yeah. Just a lot of it. Uh-huh. All right. That is this week's episode. Before we get into our conversation about us, let's do the housekeeping stuff. And remember, spoiler-free conversation about us, so you can feel free to stick around for that even if you haven't seen it. That's this week's episode, Kelsey. What are we watching next week? Next week is Easter. So we are watching Easter movies, which is going to become more difficult as the years progress because... Well, if you get a a load of the movies we are watching... Well, there are are a ton. Not a ton, but there's a lot that were made in the 2000s. Like trauma style? Yeah, like bad Easter Uh horror movies. But there's like none before that. So like I have a lot to work with on this side of of the 20 years. Yeah. On the outside, there's, like, nothing. So I'll have to see. Maybe there's some that I haven't found yet. So in, so we're going to be watching Night of the Lepus yep. from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And then I think 2014, Beaster Day, here comes Peter Cottonhill. Yeah, that's free on YouTube, if you, <laughs> could, if you couldn't guess. Oh, man. Night of the Lepus, <laughs> Beaster Day. I am actually legitimately intrigued by Night of the Lepus. Bad 70s horror about a killer rabbit? Sure, I'm down. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, okay, I can do that. <laughs> All right, that is next week. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com. That's our website where we post every single one of our episodes in chronological order, as well as an alphabetical list of every movie we've ever covered individually. So you can find a movie there that you're interested in, watch it, and then listen to our episode. You can also... Follow us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery or email us at podcemetery at gmail.com. We will 
take suggestions, although we have a lot in the backlog, let me just tell you right now. So if you do give us any suggestions, it might be a while before we get to them. But we do take them. Yeah, I it's getting harder and harder. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to... I'm trying to space them out. So, like, if you sent us a, an email with a bunch, you might get one pretty quickly, but the others are way back there. Because every time I get new ones, I space it out so that we get a bunch of new people. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so all the other people who sent us more, those keep getting pushed back. Yeah. Uh-huh. But we also do sort by things that were interested in seeing as well. And that is true. Holidays Some of you's- and. Oh, Yes, we have scheduled movies, and every once in a while, like this week, I'm going to be like, no, we're watching a movie I've been wanting to see, and I've been wanting to see. I love the Evil Dead series, so I want to get through that. And that's another thing. I also really want to get through all of the series movies that we have done, and yeah. we have started a lot of series. Hellraiser, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. Evil Dead, obviously, is one of them. There are tons and tons that we've started. So we're going to have to get to start getting to more sequels than we've done already. Uh, and we can't just wait for one every year like we're doing with Halloween. It's, but we will do that every year for yes, Halloween. Yeah. Because we're set for like 10 years. <laughs> uh, all right. We also post a lot of afterthoughts on Twitter as well. So I highly recommend you follow us there at Pod Cemetery because things we think of after the microphones are turned off or great shots or clips we'll share there. And we always link that in the description below. Finally, before we get to our Us conversation, I wanted to thank you guys for rating and commenting in your podcatcher of choice. That's fantastic. We've gotten some really, really great ones lately. So if you've done that, thank you so much. That's really cool. If you haven't, please consider it, won't you? Also, share us with your friends because that's very, very helpful. And listen in the GD first place. Thank you so very much for that. Before we go, Kelsey, let's talk about us. Not you and me, but Jordan Peele's us. Okay. Non-spoilers. Non-spoilers. Ultimately, guys, I thought it was okay. I really liked it. Yes, Chris liked it more than I did. I I think Jordan Peele is a great director, but unfortunately, I think that his success is getting to his head already. This movie is very- well, how do you think people felt when Unbreakable came out? Yeah. This movie is a piece of art for sure, but I feel like that's, it's it's more, it's all about the art and the metaphor. Right, and if you guys are regular listeners, you know I'm way more forgiving of plot holes Mm -hmm. if it's in service of the point of the movie. The point of the movie is not a plot delivery device. The plot is just how we get, you know, the message or what it's trying to tell or the creepy thing it's trying to do. And for the most part, I am much more forgiving of that than Kelsey is. Kelsey kind of ruins the message if you need to break the plot in order to to deliver it. That's the way Kelsey feels, and it's totally a legitimate way of thinking, and I can absolutely see where she's coming from on this one. There are elements to the story that are like, wait, but why? Why why that? And why didn't this happen? And how did that happen? There are elements of that, and it definitely starts falling apart the more you look back at it in retrospect. But I think it has a message that you're not expecting. I think it goes places that you're not expecting it to go to, 
which was really refreshing having watched it. I was like, oh, I didn't expect it to be for a large portion of the movie. You expect the movie's going to be this format and it's going to be contain this plot element. But really, that plot element's done pretty early on. And then it Which moves is a on. good thing. It is a, it is a good thing. <laughs> uh, and, and it's really fun seeing where it goes from there. And it's definitely a fun movie and it's definitely a good movie. I really enjoyed it. Kelsey, not so much because of these there's, plot elements. There's a good portion where I was very much enjoying myself. Yeah. The middle third is very good. It's entertaining. It's funny. It's creepy. It's tense. It can be scary at times. The pace starts going and you get into it. But it's really just kind of that part for me. I yeah. don't like the end. I like the very beginning. Yeah. It's Sorry, guys. It's hard to do this without telling you anything specific. It just doesn't work for me on a couple of different levels. The biggest one, of course, is what Chris just said. I don't, I do not like it when your plot falls apart and it's like, oh, but it's because I was saying something. If you want to just say something, say it. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be making a movie right now. You need to at least have a plot that has a backbone. Interesting. I like it. I thought that Lupita Nyong'o did a fantastic job. Oh, she's spectacular. Like, she did really good in both roles. I preferred her better as not the tethered. Yeah, so the 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 creepy ones are called the tethered. I thought she still, she, she did a really good job as the tethered version. Winston Duke was okay. I liked his character a lot. He was just kind of a goofy character. Yeah, but he was fun. I love the kids. The kids were great. They were I really, really liked the kids. Yeah, it, and it was funny. Yeah, but I mean, so was Get Out. I mean, here's yeah. the thing. It's Jordan Peele. Like, yeah. I don't think he'll ever give up his comedy, and I'm fine with that. I loved the humor element in Get Out. It's just now you're expecting it, so it's not really but that this, much of a... This one did different things. This one did stuff I was not expecting. There was a, there was a moment that we've talked about since then. I'm not going to say what it was, where where you were like... Should I have been laughing at that? Because I thought that was really funny, but nobody else was laughing. Yes, I had to laugh quietly because I felt uncomfortable (laughs) because no one else in the theater was laughing. There's this whole part. Well, they were tense. That's what it was. And it it is tense, but it's also funny at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) I loved that. Yeah. I love that you can make me tense, but I'm also laughing the whole time, which is why I love Get Out. Yes. Get Out is so good. And that's the problem. Uh-huh. Like it went to his head. No, I think you can just say that he tried to do something like he did with Get Out that was a little bit different, and he wasn't as successful as he was with Get Out. But that isn't saying much because Get Out was just so good. That's true. So that's a hugely high bar to me. Anything else to say about us, Kelsey? No. All right. Well, that is the episode then, guys. Any last words? Dig up a bar of soap and a bottle of Jack, and not in that order. I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery. Take the two the sacred place, the 
Y'all ready for this? Shut the fuck up! God damn it, that dog. He killed the deadite! Well, not Oh, yet. well, yeah, sorry. I'm a simple person. <laughs> All right, what do you think this got on Rotten Tomatoes? I know. Remember, I saw it. It's they don't know that. I don't even really understand the story. It doesn't really matter. 